Good morning. If you have a Bible where you are, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. I am going to read um, beginning in verse 14, and I will conclude the reading with verse 23. So again, Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 14 through 23. I'm also going to dig my glasses out of my pocket. This is just really, this is tough. Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 7, 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And we had entered into the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that now as you have shown a spotlight through the reading of your word on our hearts, that you would illumine it. And Father, that we would see, particularly as we examine our own hearts, the heart of Jesus our Savior clearly. This we ask in his name. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase before, that person just has no filter? That person has no filter. You know, generally that refers to somebody who says whatever it is that pops into his or her mind. If they think it, they say it. No filter. And as one who has been born and bred uh, in the Deep South, that way of being is pretty jarring to me because the filter is the specialty of Southern culture. Sometimes it's not the truth that is valued the most. Sometimes what is valued the most is being polite and so that's how a phrase like, oh, bless his heart, can actually come to mean something exactly different than those words really mean on the surface. Because they could be thinking, of course your girlfriend broke up with you. You haven't taken a shower in three weeks. You haven't bought new clothes in 10 years. Your mullet is from 1983. But what the person says is, oh, bless your heart. But here's something that I've noticed, and this is real. At some point in our lives, most of us begin to lose our filters. Cognitive decline, age, this happens to a lot of people over time. If we live long enough, it's going to happen to almost all of us. And what I've seen is that you can really see what a person has cultivated in their heart when they begin to lose their filter. So those who have nurtured kindness and forgiveness and grace in their hearts, they, remind, they remain kind and gracious and forgiving, even if they have lost the capability of faking it. But those who acted graciously on the outside or acted polite on the outside, but internally 
for their lives were nurturing anger or bitterness or jealousy or lust or racism. Whenever that filter is removed, what begins to come pouring out of them? Well, anger and bitterness and jealousy and lust and racism. You see, what a person spends a lifetime nurturing in their hearts will one day be seen if that person lives long enough. And this isn't just a sociological observation, it's a biblical one. It's an observation from Mark chapter 7, along with companion passages in Matthew 12, Luke 6, which all are Jesus' reflections on passages from the book of Proverbs. And this is how Jesus expresses it in the passage before us. He says this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these come from within, and they defile a person. When Jesus uses the word they, what he is doing is he's drawing a distinction between what it is that truly corrupts us as human beings on the one hand, but also what it is that truly makes us holy as human beings on the other hand. You see, Jesus' conversation partner here in Mark chapter 7 are the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the elite of Jewish society. They were highly respected, they were highly looked up to, and partly because they had devoted themselves to the Old Testament. They were extremely diligent in following the Old Testament law. But not only that, they were also extremely diligent in following the traditions that respected Jewish rabbis over the centuries had developed out of the Old Testament law and had handed down throughout the generations. And one of the Pharisees' problems with Jesus is that he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He had disciples, and he had a crowd following him and everything. Yet his disciples did not follow or observe the traditions of the elders. The implication of the charge of the Pharisees against Jesus is this. They would say that keeping both the Old Testament law and the traditions that expand upon that law It's what would distinguish you as a holy man, one to be listened to and one to be followed. Failing to keep both the law and the traditions would disqualify you as a holy man. So you are both defiled and distinguished in your holiness by something that is outside of you. What it is that you would consume or what it is that you would do, be it ceremonially cleansing your hands, something that we know a whole lot about now in these days, or or in what you eat. And Jesus is saying in this passage, no, you've got it backwards. You've got it all wrong. It's not what is outside of you, but it is what is within you that reveals your sin. But it also, it takes a supernatural work within you to redeem you from your sin. So here's what this means. For centuries, theologians have reflected on what has been described as the three enemies of the human soul. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, and and there's been a lot of ink spilled about what this actually means. And those enemies of the human soul are these, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world does not refer to the physical earth. God made the physical earth. It is good. It is a metaphor for the ways that culture and society oppose God and his purposes. Or what is prized and celebrated on this earth is opposite of what is prized and celebrated in heaven. 
The devil is a true being that seeks to lead people away from the worship of God by lying to us and trying to deceive us regarding what is actually true and good and beautiful. So the world and the devil do battle for our hearts, but also the flesh. The flesh does not refer to our physical bodies. Again, God made our physical bodies. They are good. But this is what Jesus is pointing to here. The flesh refers to our spiritual state under the reign of sin. It is our fallen, sinful nature. Or to express it with a little more gusto, it's what the Apostle Paul was bemoaning in Romans chapter 7 when he cried out, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's the question right there. Who will deliver me from this body of death? If this humongous list of sinful actions, which, by the way, is only representative and it's not even comprehensive, if this giant list in verses 21 and 22 comes from within you, from within our hearts, then what can be done to change that? Well, there are two things. First, it is that God himself can change your heart. And second, that God himself can nurture your heart. You see, it is God that changes your heart. It's God that changes your heart. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus is not using the word heart in Mark chapter 7 to refer to that muscle inside your chest that beats and pumps blood throughout your body. Heart in the Bible is a term that refers to the motivating center of a human being. This is exactly how Jesus describes it here. It's consistent with other uses of the word heart throughout the Bible. And it points to a very significant problem. And that problem is this. Human hearts are set against God from the time of our conception. That's the biblical teaching. That we do not become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The prophet Jeremiah expresses the very nature of our hearts clearly when he says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? In Genesis chapter 6, we are confronted with the depths of this deception. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. In Psalm 51, King David reminds us that this is a circumstance that we are born into, not one that we choose ourselves. Surely, David says, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, we need to stop here and ponder this for just a second and understand the implications of the Bible's teachings on the sinfulness of the human condition. It's not exactly pleasant to contemplate, and it is definitely not politically correct in a culture that values radical individualism above all things, that you and I alone are responsible for our fate. But nevertheless, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus is saying that your heart is responsible for all of the thoughts and actions that you take that are counter to the will of God, and that the heart of every single human being is corrupted by sin. That's a fully biblical picture. Not by choice, but by the devastating and universal effects of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
But of course you may object to this. You may say, wait a minute, that isn't fair. That's not fair. I wasn't there. I didn't choose for them to disobey God. How can I be held responsible for something that somebody else did? And that question right there is actually one that pushes us toward the good news. Because the good news is that God changes your heart. You see, Paul tells us in Colossians that when we were yet dead in our sins, God made us alive in Christ. You hear that? God made you alive. God took your heart of stone, as the prophet Ezekiel puts it, and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. God did it, and he did it in Christ. You see, protesting that the application of the sin of Adam and Eve to you would not be fair because you are not there and you're not directly responsible for it is akin to protesting the application of the obedience of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to you. Because again, you were not there and you were not responsible for it. But you see, that's the nature of the gospel. Jesus' full obedience to God the Father, Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, it is applied to you. It is applied to you freely by his grace, received by faith. God changes your heart, and that's a beautiful thing. But what then? How do you live as one whose heart has been transformed by God and his grace? Does God simply wash his hands and say, well, that's done, job done, good luck, I hope it goes well for you. He does not. He doesn't abandon you there. God continues to nurture your heart. Jesus speaks of this most comprehensively in John chapter 15 when he says this, Abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now listen to this, for apart from me you can do nothing. You see, it's right there that the follower of Christ begins and is nurtured in expressing exactly the opposite of what Jesus lists in Mark chapter 7 that emerges out of our corrupted hearts. Instead of evil thoughts, kind thoughts. Instead of sexual immorality, sexual faithfulness. Instead of theft, taking, giving. Instead of murder, protecting and nurturing life comprehensively from womb to grave. Instead of adultery, faithfulness. Instead of coveting, thankfulness. Instead of wickedness, holiness. Instead of deceit, truth. Instead of sensuality, spiritual nurture and formation. Instead of envy, rejoicing with your neighbors. Instead of slander, encouragement, both to and about others. Instead of pride, humility. Instead of foolishness, wisdom. All of this is nurtured in your heart by Jesus through heart connection and heart nurture. Heart connection means that Jesus is fully committed to you. Jesus is fully committed to you. He abides, as John 15 says, which simply means he persists. He remains. Jesus' blood, you see, is comprehensive. 
It doesn't potentially save you. It saves you. Nor does it momentarily save you and then leave you to yourself. No. No. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus abides with you. That's heart connection. Heart care means that as Jesus abides in us, by his grace, we abide in him. To abide in Christ means to remain in him as he, is remained, as he remains in us. We do this by taking advantage of the gifts that he gives us by his grace that nurture our life in him. These gifts are simple, but they're amazing. Gifts for our abiding are these, the Bible where God actually communicates to you what he wants you to know about him and how to live faithfully in this world. Prayer, where the God of the universe invites you to speak with him, where he promises, he promises to hear you and to answer you according to his will. Worship, what we are doing right now, even as we are reminded that we still live in a world ravaged by sin because we are disembodied in the biggest sense of the word. And we feel that. Relationships with other believers. Also something you're probably feeling the weight of right now is those two are largely incomplete. And those last two things prompt a really important question. Because we're in a moment of disembodiedness in, in many respects. And this is the question. How have you been caring for your heart How have you been abiding in Christ during this time of corona? Because here's the thing, and Jesus is really talking about this in Mark chapter 7. If your consistent diet, if what you are feeding your heart, if you are feeding your heart on evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. If that is your heart-unhealthy diet through the time of corona, maybe through the media that you're consuming, maybe simply by obsessing over and over and over again on the news and stacking anxiety upon anxiety upon anxiety, maybe through the simplicity and the ease of turning to pornography, when it's just too difficult to connect in relationship to your husband or your wife, maybe by lashing out on social media and ridiculing others for their obvious stupidity, if that is what you are taking in, Jesus is really clear about this. That is exactly what will come out. If that is what you are taking in, that is what will come out of you. It's a difficult time to abide in Christ. It really is. We're unable to gather together for worship. We're doing it like this. You're unable to physically get together with your friends and encourage one another in an embodied way. It's easier to turn to Facebook or Netflix or Google or your cable news network of choice or YouTube and simply ingest things. And much of what it is that we ingest disciples us. That is what is training us. That is what is forming us. And then we turn into those things that we ingest. And that is what also emerges from us. It's impossible for it to be otherwise. 
So I don't think I put it too strongly when I say this. Now, right now, now in this time of disembodied craziness, may be the most important time of your life to cultivate a vibrant life of Bible reading, ingesting the very words of God and thereby training yourself in the mind and the ways of God, and in a vibrant prayer life, submitting your thoughts and your agenda to God and opening your heart to be guided and led by the Holy Spirit. You could emerge from this time much closer to Jesus, much more abiding in Him, Or, even though Christ remains fully committed to you, you could emerge from this time feeling more distant from him than you ever had and manifesting much more of the ethos of the world and the flesh and the devil than the ways of Christ. But take heart. Always take heart because the blood of Jesus is comprehensive and strong. It covers your sin, past, present, and future. He loves you deeply. He abides in you. He desires to be close to you, and he gives you the gifts of his grace toward that end. Jesus abides with you always and to the end. I read a story the other day about a woman in another city who's battling breast cancer and is in the point of her treatment where she's undergoing a a pretty significant and regular regimen of treatment. And because of coronavirus, instead of being able to come and go from the treatment center and then kind of ride out the rest of it at her home with her family, she had to be admitted to a quarantined floor so that she could undergo her treatment and not come and go and expose herself um, to potential exposure to the virus. And, of course, one of the ramifications of the cancer treatment that she's receiving is that she is nauseous and she is lacking appetite and she is fatigued and and she's doing that and bearing all of those things alone. Her husband, who had been going with her to all of those treatments and then caring for her in their home, is no longer able to be with her. She's by herself in a sterile environment. But every single day and all day every single day, her husband has shown up at that hospital, parked in a parking space just across the street from the hospital because that is as close as they would allow him to get, but he parks in a spot that has a clear view at her window. And every single day of her cancer treatment regimen, all day, he would either stand by his car or sit on the roof of his car or sit on the hood of his car and would hold up a new sign, a sign every single day that she could look out her window and see. A sign that said, you got this. I'm here for you, babe. You know, you're strong. You can do it. I love you. We're with you. I am with you every day all day. You know what that is? That's abiding. That's abiding. It's remaining connected and faithful and persisting in love, especially in a highly, highly difficult time. That is Jesus' commitment to you if you are united to him by faith. He changes your heart He nurtures your heart. He's fully committed to you. 
He loves you. He's gracious to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that your blood is comprehensive, covering our sins, past, present, and future, and that you promise, because your blood is that strong, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you will complete the good work that you have begun in us. Father, thank you also for the good gifts of abiding that you give us. Change our hearts, motivate our hearts, to take full advantage of them, that we would grow in likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, even during this time. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.